fucking hate. You're sitting on tubes nowadays. We wonder why the word's even so embarrassing saying that. Oh my god. Irish in London. It doesn't you can give it large all you want. If you're getting the tube, you may as well start a Tinder and put up a tricolour and then an arrow to a Union Jack and maybe a little Guinness cartoon beside it because you're the same as the rest of them. There is no worse genre of specimen than the Irish in London, but I'm not arsed overly getting into that. When you're sitting on the tube... <sighs> no. On-air suicide? No, it. Obviously, on-air suicide, I'm doing that. One of the guts. I'm an Irish guy in London, after all. We don't. We only talk about it. We never actually do it. Um, but you're sitting on the tube. Oh my God. Ah! The sinking sound of despair. Smell of dread in the air. I'm head to toe in my own fear. I'm going to die and I need to cry. Ah. So you're sitting on the tube. And uh, it's a sign looking down at you when, when you're on the seat. Besides some opioid-ridden Bangladeshi. You're supposed to be trying to have a good time or see the beauty of the world, and there's just a sign staring down at you saying, Did you know one in every two of us gets cancer? It's a good piece of information to have on the, on, on the tube. Then you walk out, the tuck shop, um, ran by... A Bangladeshi is throwing fags at you that are then taxed. And um, the government can then put up more signs saying, one in every two of you will get cancer. Make sure you have health insurance for when you get cancer that we're giving you with our kind of policies and also, the 9 to 5 model we've demanded you abide by to control you, that just leads to stress. Which leads to tit and bollocks cancer. Bollocks cancer is an interesting one. Um, males obsess about it. There's a lot of things that we pretend we care about losing our hair. You know very young. That's the thing about baldness. A lot of people think, ah, I can't imagine how insecure it would make you. You know at 15. I've never seen a baldy that shocked me. I've never they're always coming on fair play them a lot of love to the baldies hair transplants are becoming um, way too common now and I hope people understand that they don't work do women find them attractive are they good at sport and some men hold on to the sport thing not just when they're young but they demand to kind of go down to five side pitches and 
score four with, with a fat social worker doing a Neville Southall impression in goal. And if that makes them feel like they're doing well in life, that's great. But really, the for any man who has any level of critical thought, the one thing that we can't escape is, do I have ballot cancer? It's a 24-7 thought. You wake up to the thought of ballot cancer, you go to sleep to the thought of ballot cancer, and maybe it's just me. But um, ballot cancer is the big one. And it's weird the way we obsess about it, because it's it's one of the least threatening to, to your life, and has one of the lowest mortality rates, but it's just kind of a, they're going to castrate me. And the, am I going to lose a bollocks here? You don't see dudes like constantly having a slow healing wound going, I wonder if that's leukemia. Or checking their lymph nodes for a bit of non-Hodgkins. It's always about the bollocks. Um, and it's extremely dark whenever one of the cases of death comes from bollock cancer. That's, that's rare, but that's... We all know one or two and from... The one that originated in the bollocks, and you're thinking, shit. Weirdly enough, because we're so obsessed with our masculinity and so insecure, we're thinking, the poor cunt. He's not just getting lowered into the ground, but he has half a, he has half a ball sack on him. Um, I mean, I remember, I knew a guy who got bollocks cancer years ago. We are at a party one night. Everyone had a few beers. But after around four or five, we all started demanding, here, listen, can we can we see the artificial ball? The chance started, cancer ball, cancer ball. And fair play to me, he'd been through the ringer in life. He wasn't going to um, turn his nose up at what was really just innocent fun. So he stood up. I think he might have been in like a Columbia kind of jacket at the time. He was going through a reinvention kind of post-cancer. He went into the cancer very much by the book. He came out of the cancer at Rock and Roll Star for a few months. And up he stood. Chance, Dutch gold cans going around the place. Uh, highlights of Tevez passing the ball to Rooney on the box. Um, and then he lowered his Canterbury tracksuit bottoms. Jesus Christ. What an interesting... Um, marketing campaign Canterbury of New Zealand went through. I mean, I presume the first people who ever knitted those zipped up pieces of rainwear. I doubt they thought the majority of their units would be worn by South Dubliners who were extremely eager to associate themselves with the rugby side of life as opposed to the football side of life. And Canterbury's became a symbol in that way. So it wasn't just... People think, oh, South Dubliners walking around in countries. It wasn't just that. It started hitting the lower middle classes who were kind of insecure at the time. And wealth is such a shallow thing to judge people on. But when you're 13 or 14, you subconsciously are more paranoid about that than you are at 40, or you should be. Um, I mean, what greater sign of immaturity than those guys who are 40 talking about the new allies they got put onto their, their Volvo. And he's turning around and he's... He's pointing out the features of his car. That's just a grown-up version of the insecurity of Canterbury wearers. But I doubt they ever imagined just what a symbol they would become. You could literally tell something about someone's character by the frequency and what exact time in their life they decided to get into a pair of Cantos. So you'd have the early guys believed they came from power, thought they were probably good at the sport, which was rugby, that in South Dublin being good at, it's just a 
It's nothing got to do with coordination. It's nothing got to do with strategic knowledge. It's nothing got to do with passion for sport. It is just a, a social symbol of I'm more likely to grab the ass of some young woman who's probably quite good looking because her dad um, married a quite beautiful woman because he had money and she wanted to sit on her fat Xanax toll all day drinking wine. Uh, she has a bit of an Oedipus going on with the father and kind of wants to be her mother, at least at this age now, with 13 or 14, before she actually realises the fucking horrors that this is going to bring her down the line. So right now, I could look like Chesney from Corrie, and because I play rugby, I'm going to get to stick my fingers up her fanny. So I'm going to put the cantos on to symbolise that early. Then you see the guys who kind of don't come from that, who are kind of uh, a little bit lower down the class spectrum, who kind of don't really have the ability to overly analyse what's working for these guys who are getting pussy they can only dream of. So they started tributing with the, the blonde tips or the fucking or the beads around the neck they got on holidays or the Canterbury's. So then they decide to get into them, but it doesn't really have the same effect because the fucking Canterbury fucking tracksuit industry is now so saturated with underage tossers misreading the world. And then you have the very, very sad version of it where you see a beautiful man whose parents were good people, salted the earth, gave them the right values, who's going to be more emotionally healthy at 30, 40, than any of these people. And for some reason, it could be because, at around 14 or 15, when the testosterone is peaking, he no longer gives a shit about the girl from the neighborhood, whose authentic soul attracted him. He's just into the ass, tits, and stomach he's seeing on Bebo and Facebook from these women who are up the class and to the dismay and heartbreak to every single social audience member Dan O'Shaw was up in a pair of Canterbury sitting around the summer of 09 exchanging in his personality and soul for zipped up New Zealand created rainwear on the bottom half of his body and then there's, a, there's an even sadder version of Canterbury wearing and that of course is the guy who's just late to the party the guy who um, couldn't control his diet young. He was that primitive. Pepperoni pizza just mattered so much to him, as did Malcolm in the middle. He just needed distraction constantly. He wasn't dealing with the insecurities of why my dick and balls feeling like this. Fuck this, I'm going to do my homework. I'm going to eat fucking pizza. And I'm genuinely looking forward to having absolutely no freedom. Give me the leaving cert cycle, and then give me an accountancy internship for every single summer after I leave school. I don't want the option to explore. I'm afraid of people. And he just accidentally nearly gets into the bastard and things at like 18 or 19. And they're possibly like the kind of cotton version as opposed to the rainwear. And he's accidentally still wearing them at 40 or 42. Those guys nearly have to applaud. Not criticizing them or putting them down, but they're just... They're not playing the game, but not in a rebellious revolutionary way. Um, they're just immensely afraid of the game. So whenever you see someone who's still wearing like a Hollister or an American Eagle piece of gear or Canterbury's pushing a pram through a village now and you pass him in your car and you're going is that is he where he, he just he doesn't know so just let him do what he's what he's doing I think there should be a documentary made about people who are still wearing uh, Canterbury tracks at bottoms and I think there should be a quite serious um, piece made on the psychological um, meaning of when and what type of Canterbury's uh, as well is a big one. Anyone who was waiting around for the era in which they began to like they began to colour in the the season or their 
they're obviously I presume we lost a few of them um, I presume some of them they're maker prematurely um, you see fuckers still engaging in the in the social behaviours that became second nature in teenage years in teenage years I mean I was watching the IRFU um, I didn't want to watch it because there's too many things about the sport that, that angers me I mean, fair play to the athletes involved and in people putting their body on the line um, for the sake of athletic competitiveness. Gladiators, in many ways, not Irish. That's not to display xenophobia in any way. But three of the backline are from Ireland. There's Maori caps in that backline. That makes for the fact that some of the guys are from north of the border. <coughs> I mean, it's a different country. And if it isn't, I want every single English person who's clapping Ireland's strategy and consistency to apologise to the IRA. Because if the Irish rugby team exists, so does our fucking cause. No more crying about the Manchester bombings. No more crying about Lord Mountbatten. <laughs> Bang. Did you enjoy your boat trip, Lord? Finished. No, I'm not for that. It's an act of terrorism. But, if we're a fucking country playing against you, I want you also laughing at the cunt. And I want you to replace every single Andrex and every single Sainsbury's with a new brand of toilet paper. Called the Bobby Sands Toilet Paper. With all proceeds going to the Republican movement in Ireland. But you won't do that. Because you understand that countries are man-made things. So no country really exists. But Jesus fucking Christ. Uh, the rugby inventors being England. The country that make the Six Nations kind of big. I mean, if it wasn't for their media coverage, it would just be a bunch of Celtic irrelevancies beating the heads off each other for the entertainment of very few on a wide sporting context. Um, you have made it abundantly clear that the entire island of Ireland is not a nation. So who really beat you at the weekend? An organisation called the IRFU that has 12 male recaps and 5 Australia under 20 caps in his back line. Fair enough. But it was a club game. It was a club game. Which makes it even stranger when the camera flashes to the stand and you have um, a guy who's 42 whose wife hasn't sucked his dick since his debs which was nearly rape. It was kind of a case, oh, Stephanie, just do, just, just do it, pushing her head down real weird shit. They got over it, though. They they didn't really, but, but they just kind of had to because they were never allowed to split due to the fucking house of psychological terrors that is traditionalism. And he has been in the bar before, the um, six organizations game, with another guy um, debating who has the better lawnmower. And they have their... There are four draft beers, I'd say. I, I think the, the Guinness consumption at Six Nations Games is actually... I think it's overrated. I think a lot of the fuckers in that crowd couldn't handle the black. Uh, they don't know their wives well enough to shit their pants and shit like that the next day, which is the staple of a healthy relationship. I mean, I do regret some of it now when I was 21 and I used to um, kind of be in relationships with people that was kind of in which... Uh, 
a lot of regretful things happen. The main regrets are kind of viewing them as a mother figure and not just kind of acting the cute guy who likes their simple meals of chicken tenders and a bit of diluted blackcurrant juice given to you. The main regret is kind of overdoing it and actually really turning them into a motherly figure and, and shitting um, your pants around them as if it was acceptable. And you're thinking, oh, they're 21, they love me so much, they can accept that level of flaw. So I'm going to take off my white Pringle boxers that I regrettably still wear. And on them is, is going to be skid marks of... I don't know, we're calling them like skid marks and trying to make it cute. There's, there's going to be shit on the boxers, on the floor, and it's going to be noticed the next morning, and she's going to play it down because she's nearly happy that you've this level of openness with each other and you're nearly selling that narrative. But at the end of the day, like, they've moved on, and this was seven years ago, and people have memories... You know what I mean? Cancer ball remembers, and so do the chicks who were just kind of staring at your shot in boxers. It's it's actually not really um, a sign of love or openness. It's it's abuse, isn't it? Uh, going around to a young girl's room and shitting yourself there, and nearly kind of giving if you can't handle, you can't handle me at me wars, you can't handle me at me best bullshit. Like what? Just just stop shitting yourself in front of her, will you? But the point is, yeah, they, they, they can't go near that. They're not allowed shit in their gaff. They, they have to kind of <laughs> pretend they're going down to get bread and milk before they pop into the the local rugby bar the next Sunday and down one pint before they go back and listen to your one fucking moan. These guys, not only are they using the flag that's given to them, um, like as I said back in my day, I used to go to the odd rugby match, but it was a, a lot of alcoholics with a lot of problems who just wanted to see some violence. There was no talk of exit strategies or box kicking, or there was not even that many fairness. When I went to the Ireland-England game in 01, and Keith Wood scored that try, and he goes over and back, the, the consensus in the crowd was, it was an act of terrorism nearly. You know what I mean? You can't handle the violence. We've battered you in Lansdowne. It was all about us fucking acting out of oppression. It was even more fitting that the most Irish, bald, West Coast... Keith Wood got the fucking try. It was real egg-orientated Irish fucking, go on, Woody! But now it's like, go on, James Lowe! Beat the English! What are we talking about? Well, these two bellends were hugging after each try. When Keith Wood went over the line, no one was hugging. They were taking a drag of their Super King Black and just looking at each other and going, too early. We got it too early. You know what I mean? We were never winning. And even when we won, we couldn't accept it. That's Ireland. There's no Irishness left. And you see it in our new fucking football kit. And that's not to say I'm not excited by Ferguson at Brighton. He is the, the best Irish player we've produced in 15 to 20 years. Um, a lot of that's probably because he's genuinely from Betty's Town. Um, and I know he went to Bowes Young and all that shit, but he would have grown up in more of a 1990s, 1980s environment in which, like, Corbs and Free and In were played constantly. Nowadays, you drive through the working-class areas of Dublin and there's kids in Man City shirts just with their fucking phones out. The leader of the group will have the ball under his foot and maybe, like, one of those bottles of fucking prime on him and he's trying to make them seem more exclusive than they are and, like, using them as, like, a social bragging tool. But they're not really playing. It's a shot here and there and then back to the phone and have you seen your man's FIFA card bullshit or have you seen this latest TikTok trend? But in Betty's Town, you're playing all day and all night. Obviously in a 
in a very modern version, but you can kind of tell his touch isn't trained. The, the, the goal he scored the other day for Brighton in the FA Cup, we haven't seen an Irish guy be able to take a ball down from chest height in, in 20 years. So it is exciting. My take on Irish football now isn't as negative as it would usually be, although Stephen Kenny obviously needs to leave fucking immediately, but we do have talent coming through, but that doesn't excuse the New Jersey, which looks like something from Carroll's. We're just openly patronising ourselves as if still celebrating Paddy's Day isn't enough. You see a lot of Irish people complain about being in England and it was Paddy's Day and people come up and claim to have Irish heritage. This is how you you celebrate Paddy's Day. You stay in rebellion mode and don't fucking recognise it. And you make it clear that, listen, our drinking's no worse than your drinking. We're not just some pain-holding, fighting drunks who can turn a phrase. We're Irishmen. And we drove you out. So we're going to modernize that. And we're going to take a back seat from getting blindly um, intoxicated and hating you and leave Paddy's Day to all you Neanderthals. Every Irishman who... I'm not even going to reference the ones who put up a fucking post. But any Irishman who was sitting there going, happy fucking Paddy's Day, celebrating a figure who didn't exist, Patrick, who apparently drove the snakes out. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the guy who is responsible for religion entering the island of Ireland drove the snakes in. Child abuse. Babies' graves. The existence of Eddie Hobbs may be not linked, but fuck that guy. Having a TV career teaching people how to be scabby. Is Eddie Hobbs dead yet? And if not, can somebody organise it? Not only is it um, playing up to the narrative that we've gone around the world and drank and caused violence, even though we built most fucking cities on rock and roll. But it's also celebrating the religious element of Ireland, which is the real reason that we could never modernise and become a real sovereign nation, as we drove the royal family out, we pulled in every white collar and every bishop to make sure that the people of Ireland could never be free. And that's why we have politicians who don't really comment on anything other than the financial state of the country. They never actually have a, an opinion. Leo Varadkar recently asked about um, trans women female prisons, and he just can't answer the question flat or expand on his answer. So we don't expect any statement from our politicians. It's all just about financial advice and the state of the economy, when, at least in America or England, the guy in power has to make a, st- a statement so he can polarise the community, so you can know what you are, in a way, keeping the country in a state of identity long-term. But Ireland doesn't have one, because we were never really free. England, and then the church. So now we're just secular, and it's all about foreign direct investment, um, fluid takes on social issues, and continuous immigration and over-the-top house prices that I think now at this point we should just continue. We don't have an Irish rugby team. Our football team are running around um, with shamrocks on their crest, with Stephen Kenny as the coach. We have a coalition government in which they just swap who's the main guy. It's that simple. There's no need to overcomplicate it. Um, Varadkar and Michal Martin go, do you want to do it? I mean, what kind of fucking country is that? And Identity is on the floor, so why do we still pretend to live in the American or UK model? It's just because we're in between both nations. By actually having a police force 
over a jail system that isn't Scandinavian where everyone has a good time. And you kind of go to prison to help the community and come out a better person. But instead we try to pretend that we have the ability to punish people and we bring homeless people to the district court for minor offences as if there's a fucking need for the homeless guy to show up. Why don't we just now properly admit that the culture is gone and embrace it and just be a full-blown investment hub of multiculturalism and take less pride in our sports teams and throw Paddy's Day out the fucking window as if there's something still there worth fighting for because maybe in that way we wouldn't be in this vortex and hybrid of identity the Irishman has to be in in which we're still fighting, pretending to be offended by the English well, it's not really even having a country to go back to. Or spirit to inhale. Let's just be Europeans now. Let's stop being Irish. And let's make any country who still believes in excessive nationalism and God save the fucking tampon-eating king seem like they're backward. And stop sitting there with your whiskey glass while the English go, Shh, now he has a song, I think he's singing. It's embarrassing. Because in the female prison, there is no longer 75 women. In the female prison, there's a load of blokes with a big dicks out. Ireland's dead. And that's a good thing. Because in many ways, it never really existed, especially in the way we, we claimed it did. But there's one thing that we are. Independent, revolutionary rebels. So live that life and throw the sense of community right out the window. Let's look at all the real great Irishmen. They kind of left Ireland behind. And if we're talking about winning and someone that the rival truly fears, Roy Gay. We're all proud of him. We all love that he's Irish. But fuck me, he does not let us get too close to his fucking... Internal valuations. He's very much... I'm an Irishman, but I'm not being an Irishman who's accepting inferiority. There's no bips. Imagine that Davids. There's no bips, Mac. There's a lot of advantage to that. You look at the UK, it's just nothing but a... culture war. We're cancelling the, the football guy for... making a statement about new and refugees coming in on dinghies um, across the water. One thing I'll say about the refugees is I understand as well the viewpoint that every skinhead um, in England who is lied to by a Tory government um, to pretend that the reason that they have inferior lies is due to foreigners and not due to the fact that they're not given a fuck about in the eyes of English aristocracy. Um, I understand why they have a, a problem with the, the guys coming over, but also we have uh, YouTube now glorifying the most minor achievements, like the guy who can eat the quickest bowl of cereal in the world getting a million views. I think, and there is high debt numbers, like, like not everyone gets over. I think if you can successfully get across that much water in that standard of boat, it should be a case of you fuckers, but there's nothing we can do. Suppose it's threatening Rwanda and making this a culture war. Make a bit of fun out of it. If they get in, you leave them. And if they don't, it's on them. 
throw a few obstacles into the fucking water, make it more difficult, fill them with all that shit. But realistically, what is the point in any of the things that we enjoy for escapism? What is the point in any of the things we've used to distract ourselves from the fact that we are dying anymore? Because that's what football is. Match of the day, Ian Wright and Alan Shearer are supposed to sit there and pretend to us that that referee gave a corner for the wrong reason. And that's why the goal against our team was conceded. And that then becomes an hour or two hour long conversation with your friends or cousins or girlfriend's dad. And the entire time of the conversation, what you're essentially doing is let's pretend we're not dying because let's break it down. These teams don't really matter. Especially anymore when they're no longer a genuine representation of what the city means. United could soon be bought by Guitaris. Newcastle are suddenly in finals now because they've been bought by oil heads. So that's not really a representation of Newcastle. So when that's gone, which was always distraction shit anyway, um, we really got to become clear that sports is a huge public opioid. So Shearer, Lineker, and Ian Wright and these guys, that's their job. Play a role in that. Be performative. But you have the social media mechanisms. So now Gary Lineker doesn't just say that over dinner and no one cares. And they think, great goal, Hatcher. Um, underrated pace. Remarkable goal record. Um, didn't like when he, when he chipped the ball in the middle against Brazil, though, to, to equal Bobby Charlton's record. Um, ridiculous piece of activity. And is your what is the story with the brother? Like what, 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 you're Gary Lineker. Address that shit. We all know that if the statement Gary Lineker made leaned uh, at all right, um, and he said something like it's an absolute disgrace that there's male athletes competing with females or something along those lines, or he doesn't really think that the that dropping the knee is anything but symbolism of immense unimportance. We all know that he would have been sacked and no one would have came out and they were all in it for themselves. None of them give a shit about the issue. Gary Lineker might. But Ian Wright and Mika Richards and the other guys who were tweeting saying, I wasn't you to be on, but if I was, I mean, that's the lowest of the low. But for me, it just summed up the world. Just When it gets to that level, you've Mika Richards talking about how he's not on, but if he was. You don't pick a side. You don't go, that was inappropriate for Gary Lineker to reference Nazis. We know that. It's also inappropriate, some of the shit that anyone who's um, lost a job over an opinion has said on, on either side of it. But what this one really amplified was, look at us. Wait a guess. Wait, wait, guys, look at us. The guys who talk about football on the Saturday are now symbols of our culture war in which we have become so overly politicized due to the access of information and opinion sharing on social media. And once you give human beings the ability to communicate on a level that exceeds their natural senses, which is face-to-face communication or face-to-face visuals, and they can now type something in and it can be witnessed by the eyes of people all over the world. It's not natural. Once you do that, you lose society. It no longer exists, so you eventually just play into the hands of artificial intelligence where no one will, in a way, be working any job because you actually can no longer have a guy to be the face of match of the day because some people think that he is an anti-Semite. And some people think he's some anti-Tory government fucking hero. But at the end of the fucking day, he's a walker crisp-eating, 
son of a fishmonger, who was pretty good at gambling at the near post. He's Gary fucking Lineker. Who gives a shit? We all do now, because choice was taken out of our hands. So, of course, he, sh- he shouldn't have been sacked by the BBC. But Matt Letizia didn't deserve sacking either. So a lot of people are thinking that the people who are saying that the reaction to Gary Lineker's sacking is outrageous are anti-refugee. No. Just, just pro-consistency, pro-fairness. And if you are the most left-wing person who ever walked the face of the earth, and you believe that we should just abort every white male soon to be born, as well as the Down Syndrome community that you seem to really enjoy wiping out. I mean, it's going to be a sad day when you no longer pull up to a McDonald's in Ireland and your man's prematurely taking your chips away when you've had two. And if you ever, if you are a child of Ireland and you wonder, why wasn't there a Down Syndrome guy in every single retail shop? We have the highest population in the world. People talk about Eurovisions. People talk about Guinness. Here's my pride. We have the highest population of Down Syndrome people per capita in the world. And so ashamed are we of that, um, that we like to distance it from our genetic makeup, which definitely is something bogey in it, that there is actually people who blame the Sellafield fire. That's a genuine debate held amongst the Irish. Do you reckon it's because of Sellafield? Can't even not blame others for the fact that these beautiful Down Syndrome human beings are born with greater frequency on our Emerald Isle. And I'm glad we have them. Makes the modern man, woman, or any beast who engages in social media culture look like they have 14 additional chromosomes. Who cares what Gary Lineker thinks? And he stood up to the government working for BBC. What are you talking about? He sat there and did the Guitar World Cup, no bother. I'm not anti him. I just think he's irrelevant. We're forced into believing certain things about the world due to the threat of cancellation. And all the BBC pundits did is realise that staying here whilst he goes down for a left-wing opinion, in which he did completely uh, use an example that was inappropriate and disrespectful to uh, every circumcised ham avoider there is in the UK, um, that... By just showing up to work, not even making a statement that you're against Gary Lineker's thing, but just going and letting him just kind of take the punishment. They realized that actually going to work was more dangerous to their reputation long term than just joining him. They didn't join him because they want the refugees in. They joined him because they're protecting their own brand. And Shearer and Wright and Lineker have taken huge boosts off this. Their salaries will go up or else they can have a break-off show in which they talk about this and on in-depth YouTube interviews down the line. This is their new identity. Lineker himself probably recognized, I mean, shrewd businessman Lineker. Always was. It's in the family. Um, as I said, the the dad um, was a very proficient salesman back in the day, and the brother uh, knows how to sell the idea of masculinity to creatine-taking, tan-bed-doing, rape-engaging males. Lineker's a salesman himself. So he probably knew, listen, guys, I'm, I'm seeing guys 
kind of put in no work. And I've been sitting here, old school, des it, doing a job that kind of mirrors the pre-social media days for less money than I could be making if I just said, fuck this, and brought Righty and Shearer onto our own YouTube platform, and we could fucking get the highlights at this point. If Sky have them up before match of the day, or even shown them now, then Twitter kind of shows the goes live. This thing's on its knees. It's all in the context of the times. So it's not a thing that he's a icon of free speech, or it's also not that he's a disrespectful Jew hater. It's just that he's a living product of a bullshit, fake world that we all currently exist in that um, is just going to get you down if you even attempt to take it seriously. A world in which Roy Hodgson is managing a Premier League football team again. You were essentially allowed to rape your wife in the UK and Ireland when Roy Hodgson began managing. Um, still can in Togo, uh, which makes Emmanuel Adebayor's career all the more impressive. What a player. Just retired. Would love to get him on. Hello. <clears throat> Just an impression. I scored a lot of goals. Just an impression. So, why should he be exempt from it? Just because the media made him and his Togo teammates exempt from sympathy when their bus got fucking shot at. Imagine if the English team bus, Spanish team bus, was shot at. Just cancel the sport. But seriously, huge levels of respect for Emmanuel Adebayor. And it's not just about taking the political landscape of the world with, with a pinch of salt, but also personally. I mean, when I was back in Dublin four weeks ago, I returned to a home which had recently put my childhood dog down. I saw the, the dog up to its old tricks on the back legs in May uh, when I was watching, because the Rangers were playing Frankfurt on the TV and the dog was doing the, the dancing on the back feet thing, age 12. And suddenly I, I just got told in, in August the thing couldn't walk anymore. It had aged 20 years and uh, told the hip went or some shit. I never got it, never understood the thing was put down in December. Um, <coughs> when I was back in Dublin, I was driving in my car and I saw uh, the dog. Uh, with with new owners, um, so what actually happened is, uh, as your kind of parents and family age, they went somewhere and they 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 they, they took home the wrong fucking dog. Needlessly, took part in the in the latter stages of of someone else's dog's life and and then murdered the fucking thing whilst the entire time being under the illusion that it was our original hound. So I saw the old thing, and it looked happy. It was fine, had the exact same grey around the mouth, the exact same uh, spring and a step and attitude. And it looked like it had just kind of settled in with the new owners now. And having known that its previous owners were so gone in the head that um, they had brought someone else's dog to a vet, um, seen it be injected and buried it out the back garden, I just thought I'd leave it. But once you know things like that are happening, you can no longer take the world seriously. The MA show is it's bringing on some interesting and fascinating people so that we can hold conversations.
ask yourself why you ever engaged in knicker sniffing as a teenager. There's, I don't understand what what you get out of sniffing knickers. It's a pointless activity. So ask yourself why you did that. And um, rate the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Now my show. It's been how many years, my boy? You still don't know my chairs of joy. No need to go, just take it slow. And have you heard the Michael Anthony show? Oh, right. oh.